are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Jungle Cruise. So what are you doing out here? There is a legend in the jungles of the Amazon of a tree that heals all. It could change the world, but if it gets into the wrong hands, it could awaken a great evil. I believe that the legend is real. Which it's not. And I'm going to find it. Which you want. And when I do, just imagine the lives that could be saved. I've been looking for this tree longer than anybody. I've tracked the legend to every village, every island. Nothing. You're searching for something that can't be found. But you've never had the key. Let's do something that's safe. Let's go see some elephants. There are no elephants in the Amazon, and I don't even like elephants. Lady, everybody likes elephants. Know this about the jungle. Everything that you see wants to kill you, and can. Careful, they could smell fear. I am not afraid. Oh my gosh. Submarine to the Amazon. Foyer! Good night. Oh, I got you. Frank, get it. Hold on. Come on. I got it. Frank. I don't got it. No, 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 no. no. Can this say, just leave me alone. That was a disaster. Didn't go the way I planned. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Jungle Cruise, and the story is as follows. Dr. Lily Houghton enlists the aid of wisecracking skipper Frank Wolf to take her down the Amazon in a ramshackle boat. Together, they search for an ancient tree that holds the power to heal, a discovery that will change the future of medicine. The film is starring Dwayne Johnson, Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, Jake Whitehall, Jesse Plemons, and Paul Giamatti. It is directed by Jami Kalat-Sara, and it is written by Michael Green, Glenn Ficarra, and John Requa. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Baer. Nothing else matters but this podcast right now. <laughs> God, if we're going to just like open up with like <laughs> metal songs, then it's like, welcome to the jungle. We're not fun and games. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been more appropriate for this movie than Metallica's Nothing Else Matters? <laughs> that at least would have been like, it would have fit in with the tone of the movie more. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Okay. Let's dive into <laughs> the river that is Jungle Cruise. Oh, Lord. Based off of Disney theme park ride, clearly this movie wants to desperately evoke the same level of adventure, fun, and excitement that the Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, was able to do back in 2003. This movie has been long delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I believe we got the first trailer for this a year ago, if I remember correctly at this point. So it's been a long time coming, and it's got arguably the biggest movie star in the entire world leading it, in Emily Blunt. No, I'm kidding. It's Dwayne Johnson. But Emily Blunt is obviously, you know, she's a queen. She's amazing. We love her. Um, and that, I think, is reason enough to check this out is the chemistry between the two leads, which I'm sure we'll all touch upon at some point in this review. How does everything else, though, surrounding that come together 
is the question. <sighs> Let's go on the ride, everybody. Admission number one, Nicole Ackman. What did you think of Jungle Cruise? <laughs> so what's funny is that I actually went to Disney not that long ago and rode the Jungle Cruise, mostly to prep for this movie. <laughs> um, I like that ride, but the the line is always like so long that I'm like, it ain't worth it. But I was like, no, no, I need to like have a good idea of what the ride is to see like kind of what they were working with. Had they like changed the ride at all to like fit the movie? They supposedly not did. yet in oh, okay. Disney World. I think they already made some changes in Disneyland, yeah. but I think it's not necessarily to fit the movie. It's um, my understanding is they're changing the ride to be a little bit more politically correct. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they did that with Pirates, too. Yeah. Exactly. And there is some stuff in Jungle Cruise that, like, this time I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Mostly around, like, the natives. But I have to say, I went into this with very low expectations. And it's not a good movie, but I had a lot of fun. Uh, and that is mostly down to the fact that Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Emily Blunt have great chemistry together. And I really enjoyed everything that they were doing in terms of like that dynamic, that relationship. I thought that playing out was super fun to the point that I could like kind of get past the fact that the CGI is really bad, that there's a lot of issues with the plot, that it felt too long. Um, but at the same time, like I had fun. Uh, my family's planning to go see it and they asked if I would go with them. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I would go see it again. All right, next up, admission number two, over to Dan Bear. When they announced this movie, I was like, Jomi Collette Sarah? Really? The guy behind the Liam Neeson renaissance is like... It's genuinely shocking that Liam Neeson is not cast in this movie. <laughs> yeah, like I was half <laughs> expecting him to show up at some point. It, it, it seemed like a very weird fit for a Disney movie. And from my perspective, this movie ended up being more or less exactly what I would have guessed from Jim Collette Sarah directing a Disney movie. <laughs> and that is to say that like the visual, there's a lot of visual effects. They are in a lot of cases, not great, but this, the crazy cinematography makes them look worse than they probably are. And it's at least 10 minutes too long. 10? Only 10? I would say at least 10 minutes too long. Okay, fair. Uh, <laughs> and there are some uh, wild visual ideas happening at certain points in this movie that I was just like, this, this is supposed to be for kids, right? That said, very much like Nicole, I kind of enjoyed it, despite being able to readily acknowledge that this is not a good movie. I look, I am a sucker for dad jokes and the rocks entire first scene is nothing but him spitting out dad joke after. I dad actually joke. would have liked just an hour of that first scene. And then yeah. the movie could have been over. Like I would have been good with that. I would like yeah. for Dwayne the rock Johnson to tell me dad jokes as I go down the river and that just be it. Yeah. That would have been a better, a much better movie. <laughs> But I also love Emily Blunt whenever she's in action hero mode and she does that very well in this. Um, I think she's probably the only one of the cast that really gets the kind of stylization that this type of movie calls for. But she is a lot of fun. And, you know, 
going in with low expectations helped going in and trying to look at it as a, you know, a kitty adventure flick. Like this is clearly not for adults, despite the Metallica needle drop that just like is truly the most bizarre thing I think I've seen in a mainstream movie in a long time. I had fun with it. It's not great, but eh, enjoyed it. All right. All right. Not necessarily the most glowing praise so far, but a you lot of say I'm damn praise. <laughs> all right. And admission number three. Here's your ticket. Josh Parm. Oh, thanks. <laughs> really wanted to go on this ride. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not really going to be that kind to the movie as much as Dan and Nicole have been. I, I can sort of see the sentiment that on some parts of this movie, I think it is just sort of fine. But I think for me, the biggest problem that I have with it is that it's just really kind of dull and boring. And I think that stems from this movie really feeling like it is trying to just imitate a lot of other similar action adventure movies and doing it very obviously and not particularly that creatively. And I think that that just really kind of got to me at a certain point that sort of felt like this movie was very just fun on the surface, but not really doing the hard work to get me invested actually in story and characters. And I understand that it's based on a ride. It doesn't have to be that deep, but it just felt kind of like a lazy effort most of the time to me. And I think that really impeded me really getting invested in this story. And I think that Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson have like some decent chemistry, although when it tries to turn romantic, it is like, absolutely toxic like they have absolutely no romantic chemistry but they have some decent banter with each other yeah but i found that most of like the set pieces just were kind of flat and just reminded me of much better movies that they were aping without doing anything really that creative themselves so i didn't hate this movie but i just found it to be rather bland and unassuming and quite frankly a movie that i was kind of forgetting the the minute after it ended Okay, and then for myself, uh, I am going to be more aligned with Josh on this one. I was actually strangely looking forward to this movie because I really do like a lot of movies that this film is trying to borrow elements from and bring back in a sort of way. Movies like Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, The 1999 Mummy, even National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. Like, when these adventure-type films work, they work pretty well. And from a sheer entertainment standpoint, I can really get down with that. But unfortunately, this one just had a multitude of problems that after a while really compounded to the point that it really did drive the movie down for me. And I know like all those other movies I mentioned also have their elements that aren't necessarily working either, but I think the positives outweigh the negatives in those movies. Here, it either was a 50-50 split or just more negative than positive. And I, I, I too, will sing the praises of Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt's banter and the fact that they start off, like, at each other's throats early on. And I liked all of that. Like, that was really, that was a great dynamic between the two of them and how they're two characters are always clashing with one another. I agree, though, with Josh that by the time we got to second half of the movie and it, they start becoming more like romantically involved and uh, 
there there was some dramatic work required of Dwayne. Uh, I, I I started to just say to myself, man, if only it was a better actor carrying these beats, maybe I could have bought into it just a little bit more. But a lot of issues that I did have with his character specifically early on were fixed later by a twist that I don't want to necessarily uh, reveal here, but it made a lot of the stuff that I was kind of puzzled about earlier on contextualized and it made a little bit more sense, but that still didn't make up for the fact that I do not believe that outside of being, by all accounts, a great human being, a very charismatic performer and built like a motherfucking house. (laughs) I don't think that The Rock is a dramatically gifted actor and that's like a real problem for me what (laughs) you don't say (laughs) so a lot of that then falls on emily blunt for me and i do think that as a female protagonist in action hero adventure mode who does not um adhere to like if you can pair and contrast her performance in this and the way her character is written with say someone like Rachel Weisz in the 1999 Mummy. Emily Blunt here is definitely written to be more uh, progressive for today's times and takes charge much more so than even her male counterpart at times here, um, which I appreciate very much so. I don't know if I needed that to be hammered into my skull, though, as much as it was in this movie. So, like, for example, how many times does... Frank make fun of the fact that she's a woman wearing pants. Oh my god! I, uh, I honestly, I love that. Oh, <laughs> I do too. But did you have to like mention it eight times? Yeah, like the first time it was sort of cute and funny. But yeah, after you said man, like the eighteenth time, it was like, okay, I get it. I get what you're trying to say. Move on. I see yeah. The way that literally every character in the movie comments like, "Oh, the woman in pants." Like that is her name. <laughs> And that is hilarious and totally perfect for the times in which they're living. Yeah, no, completely. I really appreciated that. And I also would much rather have that be a continual running gag than, like, I did have a thought part of the way through. I was like, oh, God, if they had put her in a dress for this, then we would have had to have, like, a bunch of physical comedy of her, like, falling over shit. Um, So I honestly, I thought him calling her pants was, like, one of the gags that actually did keep getting me. And it, I like that. Or she's than... calling him Skippy in return. I was yeah. like, yes, yeah, this is what I'm here for. <laughs> I liked him calling her pants better than the alternative of Sweetie or yep. Toots or. I like that not only is she like a fairly assertive female character, and I do think she, they do a good job of making her very clearly the leader of her two siblings, very clearly mm-hmm. someone who's very, you know, capable without making her. Um, you know, it never falls into like girl boss feminism, mm-hmm. uh, which I appreciate. But also, I think that what's nice is that we also see the men in the movie kind of accept that uh, for the most part. In particular, you know, her brother and uh, Frank. Obviously, don't push back on that because she's a woman, which I appreciated. Uh, and the characters who talk down to her for being a woman are typically the villainous characters, which I thought. I actually thought they did a better job with that than a lot of 
movies do nowadays that are trying to set up like a strong female lead and then like even from frank's perspective uh because he's been around even though like she comes off as like genuinely surprising to him uh upon first meeting her uh because she's not like other women that he's uh probably met in his life like I said, there, there's there's a twist later that just contextualizes a lot more about how that character perceives other characters, the world around him, why he's able to take people like on his cruise and know everything that's going to happen. And like all all this little stuff that I was, like I said, earlier on, like saying to myself, this is oddly written. And I really was not understanding like where it was all going. Um, and I'm not saying that the plot of this movie is like brilliant or anything like that. I still think it's littered with a tremendous amount of problems and inconsistencies and of course the the unforgivable sin of mishandling uh Edgar Ramirez. I which I I, I don't think I will be able to forgive this movie for. <laughs> but everything in terms of Frank as a character that was not anything that ever bothered me. I would say out of every element in this movie Frank and Lily are the two things, both in terms of their chemistry together and their individual characters that kind of elevate this, that, that elevate this movie and escape this movie unscathed from everything else around it. Uh, that even includes the film's villains here. As I said before, Edgar Ramirez, brutally uh, underutilized, in my opinion, um, Jesse Plemons, I was really looking forward to this performance from him, and I did not feel that it landed as effectively as it possibly could have because they were playing around with it being super goofy, but also super serious, and they couldn't seem to find a rhythm or a lane, if you will, uh, with what they wanted to go with with him. And then there's uh, Paul Giamatti, who, I, I mean, you guys know how much I love Paul Giamatti, and I... I don't know what that accent was or what he was doing. <laughs> it was his audition for House of Gucci. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like the the villains were a big letdown for me in that regard. And then of course, it becomes a CGI fest by the end, uh, with the villains, and there's like this big set piece, and all I could think to myself while I'm watching all of this was how in God's name is it that we're what 15 years removed from Pirates of the Caribbean and those visual effects are better than anything else in this movie? Well, I mean, it kind of seemed to me like the sort of climactic set piece of this movie was just literally Pirates of the Caribbean. It almost looked like it was just basically taking that same sequence, maybe even plucking in the same visual effects from that time. And I think that I, I agree with you, Matt, that Edgar Ramirez in particular is completely wasted. I mean, most of the time he's just like a CG character with nothing to do. But I right. feel like most of the villains have nothing to do. Like Jesse Plemons is very fun in this movie. Like every scene that he's in is mm-hmm. quite entertaining, but it feels like he is gone from very big chunks of this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, and I sort of almost felt like at a certain point, I didn't really know who the real villain was supposed to be. I didn't know really who – like which part of this thread we should really care about. And I felt like that was a really big letdown of the writing because it just felt like the actual stakes of this story, they didn't put any real 
effort into that. It was like the bare minimum work. And the result is that you have these really great actors in these parts, but they have nothing to really contribute to the story. And they just feel like these moments that come up and it's like, okay, that's kind of fun. And then you're gone for like 40 minutes and you never show up again. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. My issue with Jesse Plemons' character is the same issue that I had with most of these characters, in that once you get into it, like, they're fun, uh, you know, there's something to them, but they really don't set up anyone to have a character motivation. Yeah. I was like, yeah. with especially, like, with Jesse Plemons' character, there's kind of an offhanded comment about him being like, oh, he's the, the youngest son of the Kaiser. And I was like, okay, you could have easily made this some sort of thing where, like, oh, he's trying to prove himself to his dad because if he's the one to bring back this thing that's going to, like, win the war for them, uh, maybe he can be the one to inherit the throne, whatever. Even with Emily Blunt's character, I was like, where's your motivation for any of what you're doing? Because I don't know why you're doing it. And that, I feel like, is part of what they really fumbled in the writing of the movie. Frank has the best motivation of all, but it's not revealed until the third act. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Which is and fine. Even then. Like if, if we you know, didn't get Frank's motivation to the third act, I would be okay with that if we had literally anyone else's motivation. Yeah. <laughs> there are patently no stakes to anything in this movie. There, which I almost appreciate that they just had the, you know what, we're just going on an adventure and there's not, we don't have to save the world. It's not anything about that we're just going on an adventure to find this tree and this flower but you're right that it it robs the movie of a number of things frankly not to be like let me fix this uh you know movie but (laughs) they could it could have been as simple as like oh she wants to get admitted to this uh society this you know science academy or whatever and she thinks if she's the one to make this discovery they'll let her in even though she's a woman even if they given something as like truly low stakes as that i think it would have been better than her like having these like random offhanded comments about like well i want to find this flower because it can like shape 
medicine and save the world. And it's like, but and, and why, they don't give why her, did you ever get onto this? Like, where did you yeah. even start this idea? <laughs> exactly. Like, I don't mind the fact that she's just going after it because the of the properties of the flower and she could save a lot of, you know, people from sickness and blah, blah, blah. But why? Like how, like the motivation to do that is like, well, daddy told me bedtime stories, which is. Right. I need <laughs> frankly, to know like, a oh, condescending. <laughs> I need to know like, oh, their mom died of illness. And so she's yeah. like, I want to eradicate, you know, this, like, I just needed something more to make me care because I spent the first 20 minutes trying to figure out why I should care about any of these characters before I finally was like, all right, well, clearly they're not going to give me a reason. So I just have to go with it anyways. Uh, but yeah, Those I, I feel like there's easy fixes. To some of these things, low stakes is better than no stakes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I just really couldn't find myself getting into like any character in this movie, though. I think that the actors are doing their best, but it really is just on sort of their own natural personas and and mm. charisma. I, I don't think there's anything really here on a script level that endears me to any character in this film. It it really feels like this movie. I don't know if it's true, but it just really feels like a situation where after Pirates came out, they just said, what other rides we got? And they had a script for this that they wrote like in 2005 that they just now just decided to get to. It kind of feels like something that so is so lazily put together like that. that. Yeah. Funny you should say that. It actually, I was reading about this. Um, they started working on developing a Jungle Cruise film in 2004. <laughs> there you, well, there you go. <laughs> and then it got changed around in 2011 it was announced that it was going to be um tom hanks and tim allen starring in it <laughs> what <laughs> and i really really to get that movie <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. it was in 2015 they started redeveloping it to star dwayne johnson uh and it wasn't until like 2018 that they brought emily blunt on but um, this project has gone through a ton of different, like, weird iterations. At one point, like, uh, Dwayne Johnson wanted Patty Jenkins to direct it. Um, yeah, so this is one that's been, like, floating around for, like, 10 years, basically. Um, and I think that is part of why it's maybe not better. Yeah, it, well, it feels like... It's been in development for that long, but then the script didn't really change because it feels like a script that would have been released around, you know, 10 or 15 years ago that basically is like hitting all of the hot properties at that time that we still have a lot of affection for, but have grown kind of stale since then. And I don't think that this particular script really recognizes like all of those tropes that we enjoy, but but does them in a way that we can find like some creativity in it it just comes across as so lazy to me this this script yeah it's the greatest hits i want to highlight something that i did like about the movie although it also is hindered by the cgi at times anytime there was a practical set like the ship or the port anytime there was something that was tangible and real on screen I was really, really enjoying the production design elements of what was at play there. But man, oh man, the amount of green screen in this, like, yeah. it's, they're on this river and it's so apparent that it's not a real environment and it looks awful. 
I mean, like, truly awful to the point that I, like I said before, I'm kind of in shock that even even the original Pirates from 2003 looks better than this movie. And I don't understand what is going on with Disney's like visual effects department. They This movie has sat on the shelf for a year. They could not touch up on any of this. And if they did, that would surprise me. I really wish that instead they'd gone for like just a ton of practical stuff that didn't look good in the spirit of the actual Jungle Cruise run. <laughs> like, that looked kind of hokey in camp instead of whatever they were doing with this CGI. But anytime, like, there's an actual interior set uh, that is not green screen or anything like that at all, I'm just like, I don't know when filmmakers are going to get the hint that that stuff looks better than working your visual effects artists to death, underpaying them, and they turn in this crappy work because it's clear that these visual effects artists are just doing the job and don't i don't think they care well i mean when you give them this kind of shit to work with why would but this wasn't really shit like this had all the makings i'm telling you if the visual effects were better in this movie i think that would actually fix a lot of the other problems i do have with the script i'd be willing to let go of it more but you're displeasing me on an intellectual level and on an aesthetic level and both of those combined i can't live with i i can see that i think my issue with the visual effects like Aside from the fact that there are just way too much of them, which is, I think, Disney being Disney, I have this problem with the look of most of Jean Collet-Serra's films is that he is moving the camera really fast and editing really fast. Oh, the editing in this is so weird at times. And when you're doing that with a lot of CGI, that is going to make it look worse because everything is constantly in motion. Mm-hmm. And your visual, the visual sense of the audience is constantly being, they, it has to readjust itself with every shot, right? So all the things that look, that may look fake in a static shot, look even more fake when you add all the extra bells and whistles that he's adding to it. I don't think his style has ever really fit action movies all that well. No. I don't think it's an accident that probably more people watch House of Wax or Orphan in his filmography than anything else. <laughs> I, I think his sensibilities are really great for like horror genres, but as an action director, yeah, it, there is something aesthetically that just feels kind of like conventional. And when it isn't going into conventional routes, it just doesn't feel that natural to the material and it it doesn't really do a good job for me getting that invested in the overall film (sighs) all right let's move over to final thoughts any final thoughts anyone has on jungle cruise that we did mention or you want to reiterate i'm passing it over first to nicole ackman i will just say i think emily blunt looks great in this movie i actually really like the costumes that they have on her thought they were fun pants pants you know but i like the look i'm like "Mm, style inspiration uh i'm always fascinated whenever she's blonde in a movie because i don't know i'm just so used to seeing her brunette but i really i really did enjoy her and the rock together i mean i know that like it sounds like i hated this movie but i really actually didn't i had a good time with it it just feels 
almost like the level of quality of like a TV movie in terms of like, I can have a good time watching a Hallmark movie. It doesn't mean it's a good movie though. But for me, there was enough in it between the two of them that I had a good time. I wouldn't tell people like, oh my God, don't go see this. Don't waste your time on it. But also like, don't expect anything quality from any of the aesthetics. Uh, Because like you said, Matt, I really do think it's the bad CGI, the bad editing, and sort of that visual quality that does tank this down. Because I think that if it was a better looking film, because the actors are clearly having so much fun, uh, and because that banter is so fun, I think it would have been like a decent movie. So... I, I I did enjoy it, though. I could see myself watching it again. All right. Dan Bear. I'll, I'll say this about Jack Whitehall. I think <laughs> he's good in this. He he himself was much better than I was expecting uh, for a number of reasons. But the I just wish Disney would stop shooting themselves in the foot with this, like, first ever officially gay character nonsense. Yeah. Because well, they're on their, like, fourth one at this point. They're so. on their fourth <laughs> one, and every time they say, like, no, really, guys, this is the one, and it's yet another example of queer coding. Like, you could very easily read his, the scene where he supposedly admits his queerness to The Rock very very easily as he was in love with another woman below his class or that his family just, you know, would not let him marry for other reasons. It is, if you're going to advertise that, then at least have him make sexual advances toward the rock or something. Or say a male pronoun. Like I don't even need to see him kiss a man or hold a hand. Like just at least say, I loved a man. Like it's not even that hard. No, no, no. But you see, instead we have to have this character bringing all of his clothes and material items on the ship instead of the woman to illustrate that he's gay. Oh yeah. It it felt felt very haze code to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, I feel like it wouldn't have been as much of a problem. Like in some ways, like, the way that he is actually portrayed in the film, I don't have, like, a huge issue with. Yeah. If they were not out here trying to promote it as some sort of representation. You know, I feel like that's where they keep shooting themselves in the foot even more. Is like, if they just would keep their mouths shut and just let the movie be, yeah. it wouldn't be as bad. But because they're like, look, a gay character. It's like, really? You're, you're going to pat yourselves on the back for that. Yep. It's so weird because like we know that they we know why they're keeping it vague. Yeah. It's so that the movie can play uh, overseas. Y- you think this press doesn't reach over there? Like I I don't know. It's it's very weird to me. The whole situation is weird. I wish they would stop doing it. I wish they would just let it stand for itself and just that they would shut up about it. That said, Unlike in other movies where they have been touting this, it didn't ruin the movie for me. The movie, it, the move, the rest of the movie did a fine enough job doing that. The thing is, is like, like I said, like it's not a good movie, and there are so many ways that it could have been more. It kind of feels like, like Nicole sort of said, it feels like a Disney Channel original that had delusions of grandeur 
And on that level, it's enjoyable. It's not a great movie. It's not one that I'll go back to anytime soon. I've been somewhat jokingly referring to this movie as Indiana Jones and the African Queen's Jewel of the Black Pearl. And comparing this movie to any single one of those previous movies would would make this look bad by comparison. But comparing it to all of them makes it look even worse because there is not a single level on which it is even equaling any of those movies. It's fun enough. It's funny enough, but like just barely. And I'll just say it. Don't ever put the rock in a top hat. Ooh. That, the, that was bad. That was that, a cursed image. <laughs> I also, um, I, I, I read somewhere that that hat was CGI for some reason. What? I, and I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I read somewhere on the timeline that the hat was CGI'd onto him. Wow. Like, maybe that's why it looks so bad. Maybe. I. That's very strange. Why would you do that? I don't know. They had a year to work on this movie, Dan. <laughs> I, yeah, they had to have something else for the visual effects artists to do since they decided not to do anything else with the bees. Oh, I like the bees. <laughs> the bees were actually cute. Uh, and I will say, I thought that the um, the leopard... Proxima! Proxima. I thought she looked terrible at the beginning of the movie, but throughout the movie, I kind of grew attached to her, honestly. No, yeah, because you know what it is? They gave her personality, yeah. and so they're not going for photorealistic animals like in Life of Pi or Jungle Book. Yeah. They're, they're going definitely for a more cartoony, personality-driven character there. And I, I agree. I think it was the connection between Frank and Proxima that I, I, I'll give, I'll, I will admit, like, I was very taken aback by especially that first fight attack scene. Yeah. And I was like, OK, the rock is strong, but and then, of course, there's more development. And, you know, I, I that wasn't that was one element that I was I was like, OK, this is silly, but I can kind of get down with it because uh, the movie, the movie does, I think, manipulate the audience when it comes to our attachment to animals. And I think it, I, I will, I will call it out for being very emotionally manipulative, but that was a case where it actually worked for me. Yeah. And as far as the whole emotionally manipulative thing goes, I did not like what they did with Emily Blunt's character at the end. Hmm. Okay. I, I, really really felt that that was a betrayal of everything that character had been working towards up to that point and it would have worked if she and Dwayne Johnson had better romantic chemistry I think yeah because they have great banter energy flowing between them throughout the whole thing I will never deny that it is probably my favorite thing about the movie when all is said and done but in order for that turn to happen I think they needed to have better romantic chemistry because i just didn't buy it i didn't buy that she would do that interesting uh i mean i don't think her resolution is all that great mainly because it does start to steer more into the romantic chemistry between the two of them which there is none and i was actively cringing when it 
when the realization hit me, it's like, oh, they're going to do that, aren't they? Please yeah. don't do that. This movie would be fine without it. Don't. Oh, they're, they're doing it. Oh. Did you guys notice that when they have their climactic uh, kiss, it's actually kind of hidden from the camera? <laughs> like, I, I was looking, and I'm like, where's the lip lock? And, uh, like, the rock's, like, big giant shoulder is, like, blocking it. <laughs> I mean, it's in his defense, it's hard. Yes. <laughs> and it's literally inside his house. I think the reason I didn't dislike her ending more is goes back to the fact that like well i never had a character motivation for her in the beginning so i don't feel like she's breaking anything like i don't feel like she's you know i'm like if they had given me a better reason for what she was doing in the first place i might feel like this was a betrayal of it but they never gave me a reason so i'm like all right sure fair enough why not (sighs) josh parm any final final thoughts no, I think I said most of my opinions. Uh, my final thought was going to be Jack Whitehall, who I I like Jack, Jack Whitehall overall. I understand why some people don't. And I there are some instances where he can go like a little too broad and overboard for me. But overall, I do think he's a funny actor um, and he's fine in this role. I, I think, again, it's the writing in particular that lets him down. The dynamic between all three of them just to me seemed very much like the mummy in terms of, you know, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss and John Hannah. It just seemed like they were trying to recreate that dynamic again. But as I said, without any real creativity to make this unique for this particular film, it just was another element that was like, remember this thing you kind of liked in another movie? Well, here it is without that much more depth to it. And It was just one more element, like so many other things in this film, that tried so desperately to remind me of better movies that I would just prefer to be watching in this moment right now. And it never really made the film feel terrible to me, but I was often just disinterested in so much of what was happening. And, like, it's not atrocious, but I find it to be very kind of banal and unextraordinary. And then for my final thoughts here, um, I'm very disappointed that James Newton Howard, a very talented composer, could not come up with a single memorable music cue for this movie. I would argue that part of what makes Raiders of the Lost Ark, Pirates of the Caribbean, hell, even The Mummy, very Mm -hmm. memorable are its music cues. And it's that sense of adventure that it kind of evokes in us um, that this movie just didn't provide. I just felt like that was such a missed opportunity. And that could have been another technical element that would have allowed for me to forgive the movie for some of its other faults, because I can't stress enough when you've got a great score for your film, that goes a super long way with your movie as a whole. And especially with this type of movie. Right. Exactly. Uh, The other thing also, I really did feel like the editing during some of the action scenes were cut like a, almost like a trailer at times. Mm -hmm. It just like didn't seem to have like any rhyme or reason for it to be like the rhythm of it just felt so off at times. And I was kind of geographically like lost in terms of uh, the action at times and where characters were. But I also blame this on the movie, just looking visually bland at times and not really helping me in that department either it was just really really hard to kind of keep track of everything that was going on there is also 
a moment in this movie that I quite liked, but then there is no resolution or payoff to it. So in the end, I can't really say that it was a positive, but there was a moment with a film camera that the promise of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like whatever it was they were trying to do to tie that into another theme or story thread or something. It, it just never it doesn't have any payoff. But at first I was like, oh, this could be very interesting. Is this going to be any kind of a callback to movies like The African Queen or something? And I, I don't know. I just my mind was going in certain directions with it, but it never comes up again. And that sucked. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked the stylistic bit with that. I thought that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but it you're right. They didn't really do anything with that. So in the end, I, I just feel like the movie is ripping off individual elements from other movies that have done this better. It, they put it all together. And I just think I just feel that visually uh, script wise pacing Everything just doesn't really come together. And oh, God, I almost forgot. Then we have that uh, cannibal tribe scene, which that was definitely a cringe eye roll moment for me. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that saves this movie for me is Dwayne and Emily. That's really it. I mean, uh, there is a, there is a rock joke in here somewhere. There, there is a rock pun. I'm not going to make <laughs> it, though. Uh, but because that would also be a spoiler. But <laughs> overall, I'm a mixed bag on it. I'm not positive. I'm not super negative. But at the same because because I do agree with Dan and Nicole that it can be fun. It can be enjoyable. I mean, I, I know I didn't really give much to Paul Giamatti and Jesse Plemons earlier. But, you know, if you if you put your expectations in check, you can have fun with what they're doing in terms of their ham fisted performances I'll give it a five out of 10. It's like a very apathetic weak five out of 10 for me. Um, and even as a metalhead that worships at the altar of Metallica, I, I can't even forgive the decision for utilizing that song in this movie. <laughs> I just can't like as a, as a fan, I'm like, yeah, Metallica, fuck yeah. But then I'm just like, Oh, this doesn't fit like at all. Like James Newton Howard, were you like just not around that day? Like what's going on? That was definitely a, who is this movie for yep. moment? <laughs> it makes me a little concerned uh, for black Adam, which uh John may call it. Uh, Sarah is doing next with Dwayne. So, I don't know. We'll see. Five out of ten. Nicole? I'm a weak six out of ten, just because, overall, I did have a good time with it, and Emily Blunt and Dwayne Johnson really do save it for me. Dan Bear? Yeah, I'm the same as Nicole. It's a very weak six out of ten, because when all is said and done, I did have some level of fun with it. Josh Parm? I am with you, Matt, in giving this a very apathetic 5 out of 10. It's like, it is very much down the middle for me. Like I said, I didn't hate it, but I really didn't find myself enjoying it either. It's just a an aggressively average movie. There was a part of me that, after the movie was over, thought, you know what? Maybe in a world this could land like, like a a visual effects shortlist mention, but even then I was like, you know what? No, the field is more crowded this year than it, than it was in previous years. Even I can't see that happening for this. 
Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the 20, but not the 10. What I could see is I could see a guild nomination for either its costumes or its production design. Yeah. Just guild, though. I'm not talking Oscar here. Yeah, yeah, I could see the guilds going for it, yeah. Because they have the breakdown of the categories, so. It feels possible, but not probable. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Otherwise, I think it's just, I can't get away from this podcast without making one pun. It's dead in the water. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I could maybe see costumes, the costume guild, a little bit more than, like, the art director's guild, if only because I think Paco Delgado is just a little bit more well-known amongst his peers, but even then, it's like, it would be a long shot and doesn't matter for the Oscars because it's not coming anywhere near No, it's not. Absolutely not, yeah. Do we think, outside of any kind of of award conversation, do we think that this movie is getting the reception that Disney wants to make another one? No. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, to make a sequel, reuniting Dwayne, Emily... I don't think that makes sense. I think instead they're going to take this to mean, yes, we should make more movies based on Disney park attractions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm waiting for Hall of Presidents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if it was Night at the Museum style, I could go for it. <laughs> well, you know, they are doing the they announced the um, uh, they're doing a new Haunted Mansion and they're doing a new Tower of Terror, too. And just like, yeah. Uh, I mean, the movie's going to open this weekend with less than $40 million, and it's a $200 million movie. I have to believe that the word of mouth is probably what has sunk this ship. Oh, God, I got to stop with the puns. Um, (laughs) But I think that they just went overboard. Oh, God, I need to stop. All right. All right, this podcast ends here. This podcast ends here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I I don't I don't think that they financially are going to get what they want out of this to warrant. Oh no, not at a all. A sequel. No. All right. Well, that will do it for our review of Jungle Cruise here on the next Best Picture podcast. Nicole Ackman, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman sixteen. Dan Bear. You can find me on Twitter at Dancing Dan on Film. And Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. And there's a lot going on in this movie, and that's the problem. It's There's too much going on in this movie that it detracts from... The stuff that really mattered. Story and character. Well, there's a lot going on, but it never adds up to anything is the problem. It's just content with cruising on by. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I can't. (laughs) This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week, 
I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.